Hello, everyone. First of all, I'd love to thank you for tuning in to the Integrative Thoughts podcast. I am your host, Matt Kaufman. And through this platform, I plan on seeking out guests that interest me, that I am curious about, and overall just living a more meaningful, purposeful life in hopes that you as listeners and I myself can grasp onto a little bit of their knowledge and integrate that into our daily lives. Are you having trouble losing weight? Do you get extreme food cravings, especially at night? What about the inability to lose weight even when you cut calories and do a lot of exercise? I know I fell into this category for pretty much most of my life. It's actually probably not even your fault. You most likely have what's called leptin resistance. Leptin is actually a hormone made by the fat cells that regulates food intake and energy expenditure by communicating with the brain. The more fat you have, the more negative leptin messages are actually being sent to your brain. This creates what's called leptin resistance and is going to sabotage all dieting efforts and causes food cravings even when you have enough fat stored. Introducing Zenith, this is an all-new, completely natural formula that gently decreases leptin levels to restore accurate communication between fat cells in the brain. Zenith contains zero harmful stimulants, it's made of all-natural polysaccharides and acetylated fatty acids, very safe for long-term weight loss plans, and it is made in the USA. In an eight-week, university-conducted, double-blind, placebo-controlled study, participants lost 21.3 pounds of fat, lost almost four inches off their waistline, and reduced serum leptin levels by 43%. So if you or someone you know, someone you really love is struggling with weight loss, head down to the show notes. I'll have a link there and a few videos where you can learn more information about Zenith. So listen, I've been experimenting with different types of minerals, especially magnesium, for the past five to six years. But I could never really find a product that I could feel the benefits that magnesium claimed to give. Magnesium is one of the most important minerals for all of human health. It participates in over 600 different biochemical reactions in the body, yet over 80% of the population is deficient. Magnesium deficiency can increase risk for all disease and greatly decrease optimal performance. That's why I like Bioptimizers. They use all seven forms of magnesium in a highly bioavailable form in their product Magnesium Breakthrough. Magnesium helps with stress, anxiety, sleep, immune function, detoxification, and so much more. If you want to try out this product, head over to Bioptimizers and use code INTEGRATIVETHOUGHTS10 to receive a 10% discount on their amazing product Mag Breakthrough. Today's guest is Alexa Spraw. She is Sprouts on Sprouts on Instagram, and she has gained quite a massive following on there, posting all sorts of homesteading reels, how she raises her family, different sourdough recipes. I mean, all the things that she's just doing at home, and she's helping to educate people about moving off and starting their own homestead and their own homeschooling family. And that's kind of exactly what I'm trying to do. It's a long-term vision. I know we're going to start our family in the city, but I do want to eventually move out where I can have some animal agriculture, regenerative style, some biodynamic plants out there. And that is the long-term goal, but for sure, definitely going to try to homeschool our children. And if this episode sounds a little weird, she did have pretty bad connection. I think she literally got kicked off like six times. I had to do a bunch of editing and try to make it flow as seamless as possible. She had to get a charger one time. Her computer was going to die. And then her kids even interrupted multiple times, which is ironic. Obviously, we're talking about homeschooling. 
And the last time her kid interrupted, I actually left it in there. So stick through that. That's left in there on purpose because what we talk about after the kid comes on for a minute is really fucking cool. And I think it's awesome how her kids are not just obedient little kids like normal kids who would go to uh, regular elementary school. So really awesome episode. I hope you guys still get a lot out of it. I didn't want to waste her time and re-record. I just did my best to edit this one. So hopefully you guys can get a lot out of it. Enjoy. All right, Alexa, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Great. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, for sure. I got some, uh, you got some interesting stuff on social media and I've done one show actually, which it was when I first restarted. I wish more people would listen to it because Danny Vega is like amazing. I don't know if you know him. He's big carnivore, like keto guy, but he, uh, like homeschools his kids and everything. And they, they do a lot of like just off the wall, you know, the kids are gardening, they don't have a garden, but they send them to the school that teaches them a lot of things like that. It's like a Maria Montessori schooling and different things like that. So I wish if people are listening to this show and they dig it, they should go back and listen to my show with Danny Vega because we get a lot into like non-traditional parenting and homeschooling as well. But I wanted to ask you, like, how did you get into all like the homesteading and everything? Was that like always something you did growing up or you guys just decided to buy some land and just get started? Uh, well, okay. I well, funny thing about Danny Vega is that he's also Cuban, Cuban as, mm-hmm. and so I don't know, maybe that that might have a common denominator there. But <laughs> um, I started learning about holistic health back in 2011, and I think I previously was about that. And when we bought our property, like my husband and I on our first talked about wanting to go live in an RV off of a big chunk of land. <laughs> it was always something that we wanted to do. And then a real fact, I, I have a lot of skills I would need to learn because <laughs> I did not grow up do this. I went to public school. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, went to school in the city and not and cook for myself until right before I had kids. So <laughs> It, it was like one of those things that there was a learning curve and I knew that I had to catch up and the way that I know best is by physically doing right. So I tried to do a, one skill at a time and built on from, so I joked that I trip fall and stumbled into the community and was welcomed with open arms, which is one of those things that, you know, you're in the right and so I found a group of people who also valued the same things as I did, who had similar parenting values, and really, they were always learning. It's a group of people who are learning new things and getting better and not getting defeated and not writing things off. And it was just so inspiring to see, I'll never forget, <laughs> um, following Jessica from Three Rivers Homestead. And she has way more children than I, and calm, collected, sweet, and answers her DMs. She was always answering questions. That's how I found uh, Shallon from the Appalachian Homestead, who she became my best friend through DMs overnight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, she's the one who taught me to can. She's the one who how to preserve the, the gardening and gardening by the moon and all amazing skills that now I have to share with my children that they won't have to search for those skills growing up. They'll have them just innate within them. And 
I thought that, that was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the goal with us. That's I think my wife's down to just go to the farm. She doesn't want to learn anything, but um, she's down to go. She's down to move move out of the way and just let me kind of go with that. But I just want like our children to know where food comes from. Like I just grew up like eating shit out of the box and like a little Debbie's and just sodas. And I had to, I, you know, just change all that shit as I got older. And I, you know, I just want them to like know and see where food comes from. And plus it's like, I always think about like how healthy could you be if you like had like fruit trees in your backyard instead of buying this fruit that's picked before it's ripe and has to ripen in whole foods. It's some GMO modified kind of fruit or vegetable that we've made to look better or be sweeter. And I'm just like, what, what, what are we really doing here? And then, you know, the, the, uh, the lockdowns that shall not be named kind of sparked me a little bit more like, so what really happens if they want to do something like on a bigger scale that, that, that could have been like a warm up, like a test run. So what if they really shut everything down and I can't get like my meat or things that I need? So I've been kind of really uh, pushing towards like vision board style, like getting some some land and at least growing a decent amount of our food. And learning how to do for me, that was also a huge driver. I had always wanted to homeschool. And at the time that the world took a turn, <laughs> um, I my kids were currently enrolled in a preschool program, a public preschool. We moved to this area for the schools, but I had wanted to homeschool since living back in Austin. The Austin home community was beautiful. They had just such a community of moms that were back and forth that there was um right or wrong way. Everybody was inclusive. You had people who were very religious. You had people very hippie. You had all of them and they were all intermingled. They had meetups, co-ops and all this stuff. And I was pregnant with the boys in awe. I got to see all of them in the mommy groups and I thought it was beautiful. That's what I wanted for my children. I was diagnosed ADD, ADHD way when I was younger. And thankfully my mother did, chose not to put me on any sort of medication, but I fought a system that wasn't meant for my learning, my entire mm -hmm education. So for me thinking, oh, well, you know, if I have it, chances are one of my children is going to have it. So I always wanted that as an alternative. And then when things happened, we pulled the kids out of preschool and I haven't looked back. I, I'm thankful that I did it. I loved that year that everyone was doing it. <laughs> um, <laughs> As much as people hated it, I, I really enjoyed it. It really brought things back to home and kind of reminded me where I started and why I went to homeschool to begin with. So now the cool about it, the great thing to come out of that is that there are so many families in my area who are now homeschooling. I, I get a text at least once a month of one of my friends pulling their kids out and deciding to homeschool. And it's wonderful to see community grow here the same way that I saw it down in Austin years ago. That's amazing. I know two different people who do some homeschooling in the Tampa area, and I haven't looked up a lot of the resources yet because we don't have kids, but I, I've heard there's a lot of good co-ops and meetups and Facebook groups and things like that around the Tampa area as well. So if we decide to stay here or at least for a few more years or however long, um, we might have to tap into that, but we might, hopefully we're in the mountains by then and uh, doing some of what you're doing. How did you guys uh, decide on like where to buy land? Did you like 
know anything about to look into the soil health before you bought land or did you just literally fucking wing it and just get started? We won it and got started. So we were living in a townhouse. The won it isn't a word, but you know what I mean. <laughs> we, we, um, we were desperately, and I, I actually wrote about this previously, but we were looking for houses in the townhouse. My husband was sick of neighbors and he found this property. And now we're not, we don't have a lot of land. We are on just under an acre, but it's enough. And it's enough for us because it's great for a transition, right? Like I said, I mm-hmm. had zero of the skills. <laughs> so I, I didn't know as much to look for, but I knew that this property had been untouched and unsprayed for around 10 years. So I was like, okay, that's a great start. You know, the yeah. land was all overgrown. They had perennials, but they, like I said, they were, everything was overgrown. And the people who had lived here had lived here for years. When we moved into this property, it was wonderful because we were handed from our tiny, our HOA is like 10 people, but they, um, and it's basically to keep Airbnbs out, <laughs> uh, but they have, of a like a pamphlet of every single person who's been born on this block, every single person who's lived in this house and when it was built and the information on it. And it was just a wonderful, once again, coming, you're in the right place. I, I don't know. There's been a few times in my life I had this just open arms to telling me I'm going in the right direction. And this property, um, it just landed in our lap, really. And we got it. And now I'm not going to say it was the house to begin with a hundred year old house there's a ton of you know lead-based paint we had to cover up and make sure it wasn't chipping there's you know things in the walls we probably never want to breathe in and there are some things that I wouldn't go for with in a new property you know I'm probably not going to look at a hundred year old house going forward but this is a great transition for us. And I've really like learned how to garden while we were here. We're able to have 28 chickens, four ducks, you know, we have enough to sell our eggs. We have to subsidize our produce in the summer months and learned how to local and to support local farmers so that what I can't grow, I can still get in bulk and preserve for the times where we can't grow things. It's pretty. That's, that's amazing. So you guys do make, you do even off an acre, you have enough to kind of feed your family. All the, obviously you guys are probably eating the eggs and to sell them. And then you have enough to get rid of a little bit during your summer months when you have like the outdoor crops. Yeah. So I can grow enough tomatoes and to like can my tomatoes mm-hmm. for the year. Um, there are certain things we live on a very wooded lot, which I like, <laughs> but at the same time, it's harder to grow. Um, I can get maple syrup from the maples here. You don't have sugar maple to make maple syrup. So this past year, we were able to tap two maple trees. Next year, we'll tap them all. <laughs> um, but there, it, to get maple syrup, if we needed to, we could make syrup on our property. I would love to get bees. That's another learning curve I haven't quite dove into. But we're able to grow onions and garlic and preserve them throughout, you know, as far into the winter as possible. Um, we keep expanding our garden every year. School, be able to can salsa from my garden. <laughs> so I, I grew the cilantro, I grew the onions, I grew the garlic, I grew the tomatoes, I grew the jalapenos, I grew it on my land. I was able to can my salsa for a year, which that was like 
a very cool goal. Hell yeah. Especially not growing up doing this. Um, so it's, I can't grow everything, right? I have enough land or sun to have an orchard, you know, at the same time we planted our first peach. So it, it, and it builds on every property that you go into. You don't ever just start with a functioning farm. It's one thing that you have to build year after year and you make improvements and you pivot. Like we've already rebuilt our chicken twice. <laughs> and it's worth yeah that's awesome um so when, when you said you just like were dming some of the people is that just kind of where you learned everything or do you have like courses or books or anything that you like recommend for someone who's going to try to start a homestead i recommend finding a mentor i mm. learned by from coaches. Um, I'm, I have an athlete, athletic background. And so for me, having coaches and having men is the easiest way for me to retain knowledge. I've read book, books I can recommend. There's a amazing ferment that I dove into fermenting and finally understood is by a and strong traditionally fermented foods. That's a great one for like fermenting. The ball canning book is a great basic if you're just learn how to can. But at the same time, they aren't going to teach tricks as somebody who's been doing it. So and TikTok and YouTube, I've watched countless hours on YouTube, countless hours on Instagram. And it wasn't until really until Shallon came into my life. Shallon is truly like my homesteading mentor when it comes <laughs> she homeschooled both of her kids into graduate and she's also a generational homesteader it's been wonderful to learn from her because she I'd, i would call her and be like oh my gosh i did, forgot to pressure can my tomato or to water bath my tomatoes and she'll be like um i've never even done that alexa you'll be fine <laughs> just to, if they don't seal deal with it now she's more of a rebel canner but at the same time learning the tricks like being able to put your jars in the oven at 200 degrees so that they stay sterile until you use them that's not in the ball canning book you know <laughs> it just says sterile I'll tell you the tricks um, it's just crazy to me that there are all these courses now i feel like when i started learning this like back in 2019 because before the pandemic there weren't half Versus, like Jill Winger was out there publishing books and recipes. And outside of that, I mean, <laughs> I, can't, I can't even tell you another canner off the top of my head who was <laughs> publishing things then. Um, so it's amazing to see canning courses. I recommend listening to someone canning for at least 10 years. Because there's a lot of people who are out there who have been canning two years and putting out canning courses. I'm not going to say that their information's wrong. I don't think so. But you're going to find more of a mentor in somebody who's been doing it for a longer period of time. Save yourself some of the headaches that you might learn if you just dove in off of a book. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. My um, side note here, my family, my mom actually grew up on a farm for like the first 12 years of her life in West Virginia, like a huge farm. And uh, we used to go down there and visit like twice a year when I was younger. And they lived like literally in the middle of nowhere, uh, all my great grandparents and uh, my grandpa and stuff. And um, they would, they canned everything. They made all this apple butter and they had like just 
everything that they had was canned all the time. And I don't know how old it was or whatever, but like they were they canned literally everything. So it would be cool to like pick her brain and just see like what they were doing as far as like the canning goes. And then also maybe like reach out to another mentor or ask you or something be cool. But what is the, the reason the canning basically just preserves everything, right? It makes it shelf stable. So the shelf stable aspect of it is kind of your in case of emergency, but also I don't know if you've ever had a freezer go out, but that is a catastrophe. <laughs> um, especially like, you know, I, we buy our cows from a farmer, we buy our pigs from a farmer. And so that's a lot of meat all at once. So if you lose a freezer, you're losing over a thousand dollars worth of just meat. And if it was like half full, you know? <laughs> um, so it's one of those things that it's nice to know how to make things shelf stable. Now that that's where my, holistic mind and my homesteader mind have debates constantly because it is processed. When you're canning meat, you're processed to make it shelf stable. When you're canning vegetables, you are taking some of the nutrients out by cooking it and putting it on the shelf and then it will deteriorate over time on the shelf. So if you've seen people with food on their shelves years old, it's okay because that food was preserved by them and it is safely preserved. However, it loses flavor and it loses nutrients over time, right? Similar to vitamins if you left them out. <laughs> um, same concept, except it's just a way of preser preserving things that make it shelf stable. And that can be beneficial in a lot of areas, especially if you're like off grid or if you're trying to prep yeah. So do you have to use any kind of like preservatives and are there like safe preservatives that you use when you're doing canning? I think the term safe preservative is interesting, <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, yes, there are certain things. So acidity level plays into canning, canning a lot and um, you can test your pH of your jars to ensure that you're doing things correctly correctly. But for example, uh, citric acid is used. There are alternatives. So instead of citric acid, you can use lemon juice, but you want to make sure that you use enough of it to make sure that an acidic level is there because that's what preserves your tomatoes for the long run. That's what makes it safely preserved and prevents the botulism, right? Um, if you're talking about pressure canning, that it's the method in which it's canned that makes it you don't actually need preservatives so for example potatoes potatoes are just potato salt and water the salt is what preserves it now you get to choose the type of salt whereas if you bought it in the store you don't get to choose the type of salt and in the holistic realm you know that salt is very important <laughs> um, so that's what i like about home canning versus buying canned goods they are very similar processes However, I'm more in control about what was sprayed, if anything, on the food that was there, where I bought it, where it was grown, and what type of salt I'm using or what type of sweetener I'm using in the case of like jams. And I slow cook all my jams. I don't use any pectin. Um, and there are just ways you can do it to reduce the amount of additives. But yes, some people do use preservatives. Yeah, that's the weird thing about like foods that when you're at the store and you're you're kind of like looking at the label and you're like, it seems pretty solid, but then there's like 
dicalcium phosphate or I don't even know if that's a real one, but I just made that up. But it sounds something like that, right? Or there's the pectin and pect- you look up pectin seems kind of normal, but then you just don't know 100%. So it would make sense that you like growing your stuff without pesticides and then using what you've done research on to preserve. It's still going to be way better than just like buying stuff in the store because some of the dates on the stuff in the store are years. And, and I know that that can be accomplished because my my family did it in West Virginia as well. Like we would eat apple butter from two years ago or whatever. We pop it open and it'd be fine. But I just don't know what else they're using in there because a lot of these big words, you're like, what what exactly is that? And it's also the food distribution. So like the average egg that you get in the store is over 40 days old. So mm-hmm. when you're thinking about that verse, oh, how long can I leave my unwashed egg counter? <laughs> it's a very relative scale, right? So there's a thing called a bloom on the outside of an egg. I know we're switching to eggs, but same concept. All good. Um, if you're leaving your eggs out, some say, oh, leave them out for three months. Other people say, oh, dude, six months, it'll be fine. And they'll float test them to see, you know, how they float, then they're bad. If they sink, then they're good. I have friends who have been doing the lime wash to preserve eggs, and that can preserve your eggs with the bloom intact. It only works with unwashed, clean eggs. If you wash it or add moisture to it at all, it will not work because the bloom will be destroyed. But it's one of those things that, those will be on the shelf for 18 months and people will crack them open and they can bake with them. They can eat with them. And that's 18 months later. So I feel like we have all these safety standards on, you know, the guidelines for home canners and guidelines for these homesteaders. However, this is where I'm talking about going back to your homestead mentor. Like you were saying with your family, you opened up apple butter that was two years old and didn't even think twice about it. It's because when you know where it come from, you know the quality of it, you all know when it goes bad. Like if you've ever opened up of, you know, apple butter, you'd (laughs) you'll know if it goes bad. And sometimes that's not the case, right? If I ever find an open seal where the seal just pops off, I toss everything in there because it only takes three days for botulism to grow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I'm like, okay, that that's done. But at the same time, that happened in my now four years of canning. So I hope that that answers it. I think it's more of a supply chain issue. And when getting that canned good on the shelves versus in your hand, whereas if you do it yourself, you know when it was grown, you canned and you know when you're eating it. So it's just a lot more transparent. Yeah, that makes total sense. It's always a good reassurance to know where it came from, bare minimum, and how long ago it was there, because you just don't know. Even organic stuff has all the pesticides and everything on it now. I actually seen a um, post you made, you kind of showed your apothecary, I think that was just earlier this morning or yesterday or something, and um, you kind of like said you're getting ready for this year's like harvest, and so you have all this stuff on the shelves, and you make like different tinctures and stuff. What, What does that look like? So I, that's another thing I've learned um, is herbalism. Herbalism is kind of, it goes hand in hand with holistic points of view, right? Um, that nature provides you need the same way that sunlight is beneficial to you. So can that weed that you normally pull out of the garden. <laughs> um, there are purposes for each herb and it's not similar to 
to medicine to where it's symptom, herb, symptom, herb. That's not the way it goes. It's more of a support. So if you need nervous system support because you know that you're having a stressful time in your life, you can supplement with certain herbs. And I recommend people take one herb at a time, learn its benefits, move on, and keep going and building and building and building your knowledge. You can take one of those courses, and there's no a master herbalist, by the way. There is no such thing. You can buy a certification. You can get a uh, you know a little certificate that says you're a master herbalist, but it's really through experience and using it that you learn the herbs and you learn what's available to you. An example, um, there's an herb called plantain. It's considered a weed. You've probably seen it growing on the floor. It's a big, flat, like broad leaf, and it little flower sticks up straight, um, but they are everywhere. They're about as popular as dandelions, and that is a very good antihistamine, like a, a coolant. Plantain is an herb that you can use. It's like a, a cooling herb that will decrease inflammation and in insect bites. So you can either um, dry it, put it in olive oil, and bomb out of it to put on bites or stings. Or if you're in a pinch and you get stung by a bee, you can chew it and use that uh, puree <laughs> um, directly on your bee sting and it'll reduce inflammation and get rid of that stinging. So it's one of those things that you can use that's right on hand that almost everyone has in their backyard if you have a backyard or you can find it in a public park and they won't think twice about it because like I said, it's as popular as dandelions. I've also learned that culinary herbs is beneficial as well. So similar things like oregano and thyme can be used. Like oregano has, I bought a book that I found at a garage sale that is the household uses of oregano. And it was an old book published in 1967. And it was all about the different uses for oregano. It's antimicrobial, antifungal. It's, it's amazing. And then you have rosemary. Rosemary is so good for your hair and skin. It promotes hair growth. And I make a raspberry, sorry, a rosemary tea that I spray on my hair and it makes my hair bouncy, shiny, <laughs> not having the greatest hair day today, but at the <laughs> same time, if you follow me, you'll see that I, I post the recipe and I've been posting as many herbal recipes as I can because every single I find a new application of herbs in a way that you can use. So thyme is good for anybody who's got a runny nose and a cold. Uh, <laughs> thyme tea, just standard, you know, off your spice rack. That's an herb that people can use. And I made the post about my apothecary because this year you have to clear out the things from last year. So record keeping happens. And every time you put like basil 2022, you know, basil 2023. <laughs> And with the older herbs, I'll eat a tincture or an oil infusion and then harvest my fresh herbs for teas and things and spices in my food. So I have to switch over my cabinet now. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. And it's, I mean, it's whatever. It's like you got to figure out a way not to just throw it all out and make space for the new stuff. So the, the oils and the tinctures probably definitely work. I've only really played around with herbs when I had lime and um, they were all like, herbal blends that were uh, my doctor muscle tested me for. So they were like specific blends for lime or Epstein bar and things like that. And some of them were liquid stuff, but they were so potent. It was 
crazy. Like I knew 30 minutes after taking them that I was going to feel like shit, basically. Like they were like killing off whatever they were going after. They were probably the strongest thing that he had me on. I, I could remember every single time. Like he had me on so many supplements at once, but I knew like when I took the herbs, I was going to feel like crap, like within like 30 minutes and I'd like lay on the couch for a while and then they would like go away after a while. But the herbs he had me on were potent. So they, I definitely think they work. I had Dr. Bill Rawls on the show as well. And he's a big Lyme doctor and he, he only uses herbs. Like my doctor used a lot of different things and ozone and all kinds of stuff. But Dr. Bill Rawls just likes to use specific, just herbs. Yeah. And herbs can be so powerful, like the, the concentrates. So this is why I also steer clear of essential oils unless absolutely needed because it's such a concentrate of herb. In order to get a lavender essential you're growing a field of lavender just to get this tiny little bottle. So for me, those are so powerful. And being an herbalist, app applying things, you know how powerful they can be. Herbs like men can counteract each other. And there are warming, there are cooling herbs. And really, if you can throw the kitchen sink at something, and then everything will be counteracting each other and you'll end up with nothing. So it's similar to medicine, things interact. You can take too much of something. This is where I stay away from essential oils because they're so potent and they are powerful. I will give the essential oil people of the world that they're very powerful and they do work, but such a potent form of the herb that if misused can really affect you as well, especially if you're worried about like your endocrine system and fertility and things like this, using a ton of oils, you can really run to something that will, and they rub it topically, you know, your skin organ and they rub it quickly on hurt you more than it can help you. So be careful, proceed, learn your herb, move on. And if something's not working, stop it. <laughs> yeah, I think I heard, I can't remember where I was reading or listening to a podcast or something. They were talking about like the effects of like diffusing lavender or using a lot of lavender is like also like, uh, like uh, estrogenic or like uh, lowered your testosterone or something. And I thought that was wild. Cause it's like something that everybody uses for sleep or diffuses in their house and things like that. And I was like, wow, maybe. And then I also learned, like you said, some of the sustainable stuff of essential oil. So I've kind of backed off. I use them here and there, but I don't like just blast the essential oil diffuser all day. Like I used to. They're safer than fragrances, but they are the same with fragrances. They're endocrine disruptors out there. So you got to learn your learn if it's an endocrine disruptor like lavender can stimulate estrogen dominance. So you really want to slow off of it. <laughs> yeah. Especially like the, I was like, wow, I don't want to drop my testosterone for lavender. My testosterone is about 2000 times more important than using lavender essential oil to go to bed or whatever. Especially if you're trying to have a kid, right? Mm -hmm. Like, especially if you're trying and for your wife too. I've eliminated, I'd say 99% of fragrances from my household. The only fragrance you'll ever smell on me is rosemary because I use it for my hair. <laughs> yeah, I even switched over to all like, uh, I don't know if you know the brand Alitura. They make like the clay face, face masks and stuff. They have a cool little like cologne that's like all essential oils and I rarely only wear it on like date night. So I buy like a little bottle. I've had it for like two years because I wear it like on vacation or on date night. Besides that, I'm like, I don't care if I smell like anything, honestly. Um, I smell like tallow and honey, probably. That's about it. 
<laughs> yeah, let, let your pheromones do the job, right? I think yeah. that that's something too. You know, if I don't smell good to you, then it's probably because you're not supposed to be around me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, a lot of they say uh, it's kind of like with the birth control thing, right? They say that uh, women can't choose their partners correctly and stuff. So it'd be interesting to know, like, if the scent you used for your perfume or your cologne actually, like, you know, misinterprets that normal pheromones that would normally be happening. So she's attracted to your cologne, but then you quit wearing that cologne and she's not attracted to you anymore. That'd be interesting. Or what happens when somebody else is wearing that cologne? <laughs> yeah maybe it's just the cologne and it's not you sadly in my opinion, <laughs> i try not to think about that kind of stuff but yeah i mean theoretically like i said pheromone supposed to and i just saw a tiktok that said that the man really wanted to <laughs> smell what it was like when you first wake up in the morning or when you get home from the gym because it's when your pheromones are the strongest and if you have a deep connection then you don't mind that scent. Yeah, that makes total sense. And it's crazy all the things that we put on and we've switched all the deodorants and everything over the years, my wife and I. And then you got to be careful with those because we were using Native for a while. The Native got bought out. And I was like, started like sweating. My wife and I were like, Does, I was like, what's going on? And I like had to text her. I'm like, dude, Native got bought out. I knew something was different about this. It was funny because we were like in Target, you know, which no one goes to Target anymore, I guess. But um, that's a different story. Uh, there was like all these like native used to have like three or four like scents or whatever. And then I was like in Target and they had like birthday cake and all this other stuff. And I was like, that's weird. Why would they just like start making a I didn't think anything of it. And then I started like sweating through my shirt. Like I was like, I never really sweat like this with native. And I turn it around. There's like all these foreign ingredients on there. I'm like, no, nah, this isn't the native that, that I used to wear. So now we use a tallow one that's just got like coconut tallow and like some essential oils. And um, I think that that's actually the move too, is like just allowing which tallow, while we're on the topic, I've I've actually uh, learned that tallow is good for like the smell, like so you don't smell bad, but it also allows you to actually sweat, which is what you want, because all these other deodorants stop you from sweating. And that's like one of your major detoxification organs. So anybody who hasn't jumped on the tallow deodorant uh, band should definitely give that a try. Yeah, and I've actually started um, making my own deodorant. I use oh, yeah. magnesium salt, arrowroot, and the tiniest bit of baking powder or baking soda, I should say. And I blend it up together. And then you can make a paste out of that with tallow or olive oil, either one, whichever you're more comfortable with or whatever you have on hand. But I use that. And honestly, the magnesium salts have really been the game changer for me whether you're stressed whether you're working out this the odor doesn't come <laughs> so it's pretty cool yeah i thought about um trying to make some of my own that would have like some kind of like bentonite clay or charcoals in them because i've heard that's like since that is a detox like a lymph system there you could actually absorb some of those toxins instead of i would imagine when you sweat some of it out you probably re, re get rid of some you reabsorb some as well because it's just sitting there but I heard that if you use like a charcoal or bentonite clay style of uh, deodorant, that can be helpful if you're doing some detox, which I'm no stranger to doing lots of detoxes the last few years <laughs> via having lime and heavy metal poisoning. Yeah, I mean, those are both great. Like I love using the bentonite clay. I use a, um, I forgot what the name of it is, but I use a clay mask for shampoo. 
instead of using shampoo, I've switched away from shampoo and I am now about two years into not using any shampoo and look, see, my hair is clean and normal, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever tried to use uh, the pig lard for, for your hair? Um, I have not used a lard for my hair or the tallow. I haven't used either of those. I've found a pretty good rhythm between the rosemary oils and just a straight up Castile soap if I really need to. Like I, I got hair, I used hairspray. I know I used hairspray, yeah. uh, but I used hairspray for a wedding I was in and it took me like a week to get my hair back after that. And it definitely is a process, but now that I'm in the no poo world, <laughs> um, I think I'm going to stay here for quite some time. I can't see myself going back towards that type of rigorous use. Yeah, I, I didn't wash my hair for like six months besides just water or something like that. And then finally, I was like, I don't know, maybe it's kind of greasy. I work out, I get in the sauna. And so I had done some research on the like the fat soluble vitamins that are in pig lard are supposed to be very nourishing for the hair instead of like stripping it away of everything. So uh, my pig lard is from White Oak Pastures and I just they make these bars. So it might sound weird if you just say pig lard because people are thinking that I'm taking like bacon grease and slathering it in my hair, but it's like a bar, just like a soap bar and you just use it and it kind of foams up. And I think it has like lemon. There's a couple different scents. You can pick like lemon or unscented or whatever. I think I use the lemon one and just like pig lard and lemon essential oils. And I only still only wash it like once or twice a week, but it is something to just kind of get it. But I've heard that that's actually nourishing instead of like shampoos kind of strip everything out of your hair, which wow. can't be good. Wow. So um, I actually think I'm probably helping my hair uh, heal with the pig lard. Yeah, we actually, so my husband hunts and we got a bunch of deer tallow where I have plans to make deer tallow soap. Yeah. <laughs> um, so once you combine in the process of soap making like with lye and you make an, an emulsion, it's no longer just the lard. So you're not just rubbing oil on your hair. It turns into a different chemical. <laughs> um, so it's not oil that goes on your hair. But yeah, it's it's supposed to be extremely beneficial. Like, and that's another sustainable source, right? Um, with the him hunting, this is stuff that he would normally cut off and not use. So if I can use it to either make soaps or bonds or anything like that, it's one step further, right? Yeah. I mean, hunting's the most sustainable, but I mean, I look at a place like White Oak Pastures who's doing farming the right way. And it's like, mm -hmm. why wouldn't I buy, I buy their, um, their face cream, their face lotion, you know, the, for the, for my face, that's like all I use besides the Ali Turi clay mask every few weeks. And then like, I just buy all of their fat. Cause I'm like, they're growing animals in the right way. They're going to either throw away this fat or whatever. And it's like way more sustainable than using whatever these plant-based ones are, in my opinion, unless coconut seems to be pretty sustainable. I haven't heard anyone like reach out and say, we are we're, like coconuts are ruining the world. So I guess like uh, Dr. Bronner's like coconut bars, probably decent too. I used to use those, but for the yeah. most part, if I'm already eating animal, it's kind of like in my kind of like ethics to just go nose to tail with all of it. So that's what I use for my face lotion and all of my soaps and everything as well. Yeah, I started um, using tallow-based things earlier this year. I have a friend who opened up like her small business that she does tallow products for it. So I use her after sun care and her daily moisturizer. 
but mm. it, it's so much better. It, you, it absorbs into your skin. You can feel it the next day. You know what I mean? The softness of your skin, yeah. I'm sure you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't think I'll ever go back to normal lotions. Now I say never, never say never, right? Um, but <laughs> I really, with everything that I've seen, it just seems the most natural. It, and it works the best. Like I, I couldn't believe I got my wife off of all these products. Like she used to buy all this shit, you know, and she, she I got her on the collector. Like a uh, she, collector. she had all, she the has all this kind of rent. She'd spend all this money, right? Like she's face moisturizer. I don't even know what she had. She had bathroom full of whatever. I don't know if they were natural. She was like getting more and more natural, but it was still like all these products. I'm like, I don't think you need all these. So she, I got her on the Alley Turf uh, clay mask because she was like getting facials done at like this all natural lady paying a hundred bucks. I'm like, listen, we'll get the Alley face mask. We'll both use them every once in a while. And then you just use tallow and see what it does. And she literally, that's all she uses now because the tallow, like you just need the smallest amount and your skin will look so moisturized and it stays. Like I remember when I used to use regular lotion, I could probably put it on two, three times a day. But like with the tallow, it's like once a day, just a little bit and it lasts me forever. Yeah, it's great. Like I, I said, I use it on my kids. I don't think twice about it. Any of the products I've got, um, it's Bubby's Kitchen. I use all of her products. And she even has a mineral sunscreen. I don't use sunscreen. Like I'm not a big sunscreen person. Um, I believe in morning exposure and regular melanin regulation mm -hmm. um, and haven't had a problem. But if I'm going to be out like on the water for too long, I'll use that tallow-based sunscreen if I need to. Yeah, I just have to. I've moved to Florida, right? And I got like, you know, Norwegian genetics. So, and like we were just in Costa Rica for two weeks. So, like, I have to like put on the long sleeve, like summer shirts, you know, sometimes because I'm just like, yeah. I'll get crispy out there. But also on the back end, I notice that if I do get really red out in the daytime, like forget the sunscreen or just don't put it on enough. And uh, if you use tallow, like after you get burnt, it goes away almost within like the next morning. It's insane. I have people are like, you got aloe vera. I'm like, no, I literally have beef tallow. <laughs> the one that I use is aloe vera mixed with beef tallow. Oh yeah. That's probably legit. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. I love it. Yeah. So I need to look into that, but I usually just use the beef tallow and I'll rub it on like two or three times a day if I'm burnt instead of just like the, you know, the one time. And, and I swear I've never seen my like Cause I'm like white. Well, I look a little tan right now cause I live in Florida and it's hot, but like it's, I'm usually like, you know, very white and uh, the tallow just brings it right out of me. And it seems to make me get more of a tan. I don't know what the tallow does. Like, it seems like I keep the tan instead of just like being really red and then going back to being white. Well, and another thing, the cool part, so homesteading has taught me how to render my own tallow. So yeah. if you buy your cow as a whole cow, you can ask for the tallow. And it's cool because you can use the subcutaneous fat for like cooking, and then you can use the leaf fat, the fat on the outside for things like balm and lotion and all sorts of things. So it's really cool to learn the process. And that's another reason why, like I said, I've fallen into this homesteading world is because those applications that this holistic world is telling me is the best now I can bring them into practice. And it's been really awesome to learn the skill, like being able to render my own fat. So now I have, you know, lard and tallow sitting out on my countertop all the time. And I have a ton of rendered tallow in my freezer. <laughs> 
Yeah, I have a bunch of, uh, I made, um, when we went to Costa Rica, I made these pemmican bars. Um, I've had, I posted a long time ago about them, but, or you kind of like dehydrate the meat, you dehydrate the berries. I, you, usually it's just tallow, but I like to put honey in there as well. So it's like, a, you know, especially cause like when I'm out, um, like we were out hiking a lot in Costa Rica. So I, I did want the protein and the fat, but I did want some carbs. Plus the honey just makes it taste a little bit better. And honey is a preservative as well. So honey will help it like not get mold and all kinds of things. So the tallow and the honey both being preservatives for those is amazing. And I've rendered down the suet into my own tallow basically. And it's super easy. You just can put it on a cast iron skillet on really low. It takes like all day, but you can just, you don't really have to watch it or anything. You just kind of sit it there and get the little crispy pieces out at the end. And then, uh, then I turned it into pemmican and now I still have a whole tub of like suet tallow sitting on my counter to use for cooking or whatever. It's a cool process. It's yeah, a fun you know, I, and it's passive, like you said. You don't need to be babysitting it all day, which is a nice thing. Yeah, the suet apparently. Um, you know, I've had. Have you ever heard of Createx Solutions? They make saunas and kind of like some neck roller things. They have a lot of um, tallow products as well. She likes to use. They're expensive because she has all these crazy like oils and herbs in there that are all like anti aging, and she's like really like dug dug into the weeds. I had her on the show. But she likes to use this, just the suet um, for her products. And I swear they are probably the most moisturizing products. I usually just get mine from White Oaks because I'm already ordering meat from there. Mm-hmm. But um, hers probably are better, I will say. She has these like anti-aging ones. She has ones for eczema and different things like that. But she uses just the suet, like you know, the fat from around the kidneys instead of using just like the regular tallow. And my wife and I both agree that th- those are the best. You know, but yeah. it, it has something to do with that tallow, I think, or the suet part. The, well, that's the ones around the organs. That's the mm-hmm. substantious. It's in between. So I, I, I don't know for, you know, for a fact, but it feels like it has a more creamier texture to it when you render it down. I separate them because there is still use for that leaf fat on the outside. There is still use for it, but not as... That is like, I wouldn't ingest it. Like I wouldn't be taking it. Like they, I know that heart and soil's got a fire starter. That's basically Mm -hmm. the suet in a pill form. Um, That makes sense to me to whereas I probably wouldn't just be chewing on some leaf fat. (laughs) My buddy gave me some of those fire starters one day I was at his house. I thought they were gross. I actually used to eat raw suet right from the farm or whatever. Um, when I was like more low carb, I don't need like there, it's very dense and fat. So you don't need very much. And when you're on a, like a low carb diet, then it's, it was cool because I could just use that as my fat source and I'd feel really good from that. But, um, I don't eat it as much now that I have like more carbs in my diet and raw milk and stuff. But I thought the raw suet itself was like a little neutral, a little off, but it was like easier. But when I ate that fire starter, I was like, I don't like these. It's gross. You know, I don't take it because (laughs) I have so much good fats already in my diet, you know, mm-hmm. um, I cook with lard, I cook with raw butter, I drink raw milk, you know, there's, I have a lot of good fats already in my diet. So I don't feel the need to take it in pill form. Um, but I could see why that's the same logic with the raw beef livers, right? People mm-hmm. will eat raw beef liver. I cannot get behind it. I have been trying desperately. I will take them in capsule form every day, all day, but I cannot <laughs> stomach the raw liver. I've been trying. I've tried to cover it in honey. I've done so many things. It's just something I can't get past one of my blocks. <laughs> yeah, that makes total sense. 
I wanted to get back to the homesteading. I wanted to ask, like, how critical are the like having the chickens out there? Did like people I know, like the vegan world and everything's like, oh, you should just grow plants. But then, like, as you dig into it, it's like, no, you kind of need the animals for fertilizer, right? Well, not only do you need it for fertilizer, but if you're talking about a sustainable system, something that will sustain itself and turn things into other things, right? So, yes, fertilizer will turn your, you know, will replenish your soil but at the same time we feed our chickens chicken scraps and we feed them meat scraps and we feed them carcasses we feed them all of the things that really traditionally can't really go in your compost so and they turn it in to one of the most nutrient dense things in existence an egg you know so for me Having the chickens was like a total homestead upgrade. It meant that we had an ability to take something that we would have thrown away and turn it into something that can is nutrient dense and nourish my family. So it was extremely important for me to get animals on our property. If I had the land for it, I would get pigs. If I had the land for it, I would get goats um, because of that grazing and the replenishing of the soil through the regeneration cycle. Yeah, that's do that. That's my community's kind of goals. That's why we kind of like trying to wait it out and make sure we get a bigger plot of land. Cause I'm like, I don't know, like you need a lot of land to do cattle, but um, you know, you could do lamb or you could do goats and you could do the chickens and, you know, it just depends on how much land we end up getting, but definitely a big part. And that's just what I eat mostly. So it's like, why wouldn't I want the animals out there? I want the eggs. I want some form of lamb or some form of ruminant animal for the soil health. And then we'll, we'll add the, the plants in from there, fruit trees or whatever. Yeah. And if, like I said, over time, you add more and more, you figure out what works for your property and you push forward that way. Right. Um, I know people who raise goats because it also is a dairy animal so they can still have their raw dairy and they also can make butter from it. I mean, it's harder. It's obviously harder to have a dairy animal. However, it also brings in back to the regenerative properties of it. They can rotate the pasture of the goats and get the same benefits to the soil. So it's really cool. And that's another thing about being online and in this community. I, as much as I hate social media, (laughs) I do like that it has put people in my life to where I aspire to be. Right. If you don't know where you want to be until you, have seen it right until either it's in your mind or you've seen a glimpse of what it can be and so it's wonderful to see families of four families of six families you know even more living off of their own land and the ability that they have to raise their own food grow their own food and preserve it all in one area yeah that's amazing now you're talking about families i wanted to kind of get into some of the family stuff how many kids do you have currently? I have four, and I am done having children. <laughs> um, I have twin eight-year-old boys. I have a four-year-old little girl and a 20-month-old little girl. So I got uh, an even split, and I, I couldn't, couldn't love it more. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And do you have them kind of learning how to do all like the farm chores and everything? Are they enjoying that stuff? You know, 
I have one of them who wants to grow up and build robots to do everything for himself. And then I have uh, another one who wants to be a father and wants to be a caretaker of animals. And my daughter is an unknown tornado of energy and knowledge. It's so cool to see them just develop into these people. And it's amazing to me that they get to be with me when I'm learning this. I get to show them how wonderful it is to continue learning at 35. You know, I'm learning new things every single day. Learning doesn't just stop with school. Learning is something that you should continue doing your entire life. So when they see me learning, when they see their father learning, they know that they're just starting out on their path that they're picking up how to cook, they're picking up how to plant. My kids could start all my seedlings for me, which is really cool. <laughs> they oh, wow. feed the chickens. They, you know, my daughter collects the eggs. Sometimes if it's a little cracked, she likes to egg random things in our yard, but it's <laughs> a whole different side of things. It's just wonderful to see how interactive they are. I even have my 20-year-old or 20-month-old, she's trying to pick weeds in my garden cuz she knows the ones that aren't supposed to be there. Hello, everyone. First of all, I'd love to thank you for tuning in to the Integrative Thoughts podcast. I am your host, Matt Kaufman. And through this platform, I plan on seeking out guests that interest me, that I am curious about, and overall just living a more meaningful, purposeful life in hopes that you as listeners and I myself can grasp onto a little bit of their knowledge and integrate that into our daily lives. Yeah, that's so cool. And it's funny that you like, I'm glad you brought that perspective into it. Cause I think that, um, someone, maybe even me, like you'd think you'd move off grid and you'd show them how to grow all their own food and they'd be like the future regenerative rancher. But then you were like, well, I don't know. The one wants to like build robots or whatever. So it's funny, like they're still going to kind of be their own independent person, but I do think no matter what, they'll have a deeper connection to like food and where their food source. So if that's like the only thing that they gather from it, then that's still a win. Yeah. And when you ask my children where their eggs come from, they'll say chickens. If you ask them where their hamburgers come, they say, oh, well, it's a beef from a cow from Cindy's farm. You know, they, they know exactly where it came from. And if you ask some kids where their food comes from, they'll say the grocery store, you know, or the refrigerator. Yeah. So it, it is a perspective. And I wonder all the time what it would have been like to grow up with this perspective. It wasn't like it was hidden from me. It's just not an everyday practice. You know, you mentioned that your mother grew up on a farm. So having that upbringing, you were a little bit more in tune to where things came from. And that's brilliant to me. I think I think it's wonderful for a mind to be so deeply connected. <laughs> okay, come who on. Who are you talking to? I'm still recording, please. Who are you talking to? His name is Matt. Would you like to say hi? Hi, okay. Matt. Hey, how's it going? We're talking about you guys. Yeah, we're talking about how you learn things and how you learn how to plant and cook. And, and I mostly know how to learn how to build from Minecraft. Yeah, he also likes Minecraft. Minecraft, Anyways. there you go. Okay, let me finish, okay? Please. Okay, but it also teaches us how to survive. It teaches us how to survive. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, uh, their one of their favorite shows is Alone. <laughs> <laughs> they can learn how to build shelters and start fires. 
Yeah, I mean that's that's great. I think in teaching oh, the kids. Cash, please. Like wait, please. I feel like really bad. Yeah, it's only uh, fitting that we're talking about them and he interrupts whatever kids have the mind of their own, especially probably the homeschoolers are probably uh, also a little bit more free, right? Like um, when you go to regular school and you're like, so say your kid that just interrupted, goes to public school and he gets taught the single file line, follow all the rules, do all this. Had you said to him, like, just go outside, he probably would have just like followed orders. But I feel like some of the homeschoolers are probably a little bit more like free birds. Oh, a hundred percent. And it's so funny. I get so much, you know, pushback from other people in my life about the obedience of my children. However, they're taught to question their directives and that's part of it. You know, they're going to make decisions for themselves and they need to make those decisions and they need to question where it's coming from. So it's working. (laughs) I'm not yeah. upset by it. They do behave when they need to do things. I'm able, I took a road trip with four children across the country by myself and didn't worry about them one time because when it's a matter of paying attention to their surroundings and listening, they will listen. But if you tell them to do something that they're not used to doing, they're going to question why. <laughs> and I'm okay yeah. with that. <laughs> Danny Vega was saying that like uh, his kids are like, I can't believe all these kids. Uh, they asked if they can use the bathroom, and he's like, "Dude, you got to chill when you're in public because they're they're raised a little bit differently." <laughs> but like, kids don't know, right? They're like, "Why are these kids asking if they can go to the bathroom? Like, just go to the fucking bathroom." Like, it's, so it's just like funny. I think it's like literally two different worlds. Yeah, you know, I tried. <laughs> so there are two are that are in second grade, um, but I tried to get them to like raise their hand when they were asking something mm-hmm. and they just did not grasp the concept whatsoever. Like it was, it fell on deaf ears. There was no, no understanding of, wait, why would I have to, you're right here. Why can I talk to you? <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Did you do any kind of like uh, special diet or supplementation? Were you into holistic health when you started having kids? You know, when I was pregnant with the boys, no, um, I wasn't, I had fallen away from a lot of my holistic habits and, you know, you can either live with regret about it or you can learn, right? I learned, like it took me two months. I was still drinking iced coffee while nursing and it took Mm -hmm. me two months to figure out, oh, it's going into my breast milk. That's why the children aren't sleeping. They're on caffeine. You know? <laughs> um, so it's took a little bit of an adjustment and with each pregnancy, cause I've had four and with each pregnancy, I've been able to learn more and get into a more nutrient dense diet. And that has helped tremendously. Like I would think that I was the best with my last pregnancy um, because I was more mindful. I was taking my beef organs, you know, which I didn't know that liver used to be a prenatal for mm-hmm. many indigenous tribes and cultures all over the world. And so that was one thing that I didn't add until my last pregnancy. And now she was the best nurser, the best sleeper. I don't know if that was my experience from having done it three times before, or if it was from the nutrients that she got during pregnancy. Yeah. So crazy. I don't think that, um, 
a lot of parents understand the nutrition aspect and how the development of the brain and everything just matters as far as like uh, mineral status, vitamin status, you know, amino acids, and then how all that affects the breast milk. And also maybe how, like you said, maybe she was just more naturally like able to latch on and think just because of the nutrients and that maybe it like helped develop her, you know, motor skills better or brain better, or maybe her instincts. Like I just can't under fathom how people don't think that nutrition plays any role in their children's development and their birth. It's insane. Yeah. And you know, I've, I nursed all of them. I was able to natch or latch in the delivery room with both twins. <laughs> um, and so breastfeeding came very natural to me. I know it doesn't come natural to everyone and it does take time to build the relationship between you and your child. So, you know, if you're just starting out and you're hitting all of these blockages, because sometimes it happens, right? A kid can be bored, tongue-tied, uh, that you've got uh, all sorts of issues with lactation consultants and getting the wrong information. And I just encourage people to keep trying, right? It is discouraging and it is hard when you hit a block, when you've been so dead set on it. I was so dead set on nursing with the twins and I was going to exclusively nurse. I read everything about it and it was so hard for me. I did not have the support system set up that I needed for twins. I had no idea. I'd never raised a child before, <laughs> you know, and then here I was given two, two healthy, wonderful children. And I still, I stopped producing milk. I wasn't taking care of myself. And at a certain point I had to start supplementing. And with formulas, then if you dive into the world of formulas, <laughs> it scares you, you know, especially as a mom who has this holistic voice in the back of my head, the incorporation of formula, everyone wants to kind of like shun you. <laughs> um, and it's discouraging to mothers out there because, you know, you want to be encouraged to keep trying and you really want to give your baby the best possible you know nutrition at the end of the day they still need nutrition so if you're having a hard time i'm talking to anyone listening but if you're having a hard time nursing if you're having a hard time and you have to supplement don't beat yourself up about it there are millions of children out there who either lose their mother in birth or don't have the resources to be able to nurse there are banks now that exist that i think are wonderful that they were barely even around when I had the, the boys of women who donate their breast milk so that other babies can have still have milk. And it's just fascinating to me how it's developed in the eight years since I've been a mom. And I just really hope that mothers aren't as discouraged and people shouldn't be so hard on moms who choose formula. I believe that the most nutrition is going to come from breast milk. But I still want a child to have nutrition. So if a mom is struggling, if you can't take care of yourself, if you can't have the support that you need, you need to focus on you and give your kid the nutrition, you know. So that might be an unpopular opinion, but I, I see moms who deal with so much postpartum and have so much stress on their shoulders already that they don't need other people telling them what they're doing is bad for their child. So... 
that's kind of, it's a very weird place to navigate. And I've actually talked to my friend Carly about this um, because there's so much information against mothers and the choices that they make. It's just so hard to be a mother and navigate a holistic health world because you're never crunchy enough. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. it's. Uh, I mean, I, I get it. I've been on every different diet and it's like, oh, you, you weren't vegan enough to be vegan and you weren't doing keto right to be keto. And it's like, oh, how about I listen to my body? And it felt pretty good. And for, for mothers, I know that, um, breastfeeding is like, you know, it's tough. It's hard. And it's, if you got to go to work, you got to figure that out. And, you know, it depends on, you know, your circumstances financially, as far as if you have to go back to work very soon, but you know, there's some good formulas out there decently. Now some stuff from Europe, as far as like goat's milk, I know Mount Capra is pretty good. You kind of have to like buy like a few different things from them and blend your own. So it's a little bit more work, but it's still got like all the nutrition that babies need. And then, uh, my Serenity Kids or whatever. I think Ben Greenfield's invested in that, which is a cow's milk one, but it's A2 and then it has all like the nutrients that a baby should get. So, I mean, it's like, you know, at least look into, they're going to cost more money, but I would just run with something like that if I had to do it or my wife couldn't produce milk or whatever happened, you know. But a lot of formulas, if you look on them, the first ingredients are like soy protein, canola oil, um, you know, iron shavings and iron, you know, iron fortification system. So like you have to be pretty careful. That was like what I was raised on and I had tons of immunological issues. Yeah. And they can cause that, you know, that's the other, that's the other end of the, the coin, right? You, the options out there, like I said, in the last eight years have improved drastically. So there are options out there now that are better for, children's nutrition and better for them in the long long term so do shop around but like you said that you know it's really i found especially throughout my pregnancies is that that support is the most important to have the people around you that can help you right night feedings having a husband who's willing to get up to help you <laughs> even if it's just to change the diaper so that you can go right back to bed you know um and i've done pretty much the whole gambit of baby infant things. Like uh, I started out cloth diapering and then with my last daughter, with I just threw cloth diapering out the window. <laughs> um, you know, I've gone from using Desident to using my own, you know, homemade tallow-based baby bomb. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I've gone, like I said, the full gambit of it and, I don't think that one of my children is better off than my other ones. But what I have noticed is that I'm better off once yeah. I start listening to that voice yeah. and my postpartum, it, it, I'm still in my postpartum. That's another common misconception is that people think, Oh, okay, well you had a baby a year ago. You're fine. No, your body is still healing and still recovering. And I personally, I've had three C-sections. So I had three hospital births and in the crunchy community, they don't like that so much. <laughs> but at the same time, that's where I felt the most comfortable. And I did not feel comfortable with having C-sections. However, they were a necessity in all of my pregnancies. So it's one of those things that you just have to listen to your body, like you were saying.
Yeah, I'm glad. I was actually going to be my next question. So you must have read my mind there about the natural births or whatever. And, you know, people just, you know, a lot of the hospitals are necessary. Like Paul Check, we were talking about him before the show. I would listen to a whole episode where he was trying to do a natural home birth. And he's like the godfather of natural births. And they had to go get a C-section. So, I mean, it, you have to do like, I'm sure if anybody was doing everything correctly, it's Paul Check. He has the money, the knowledge, the resources. And somehow, some way, he still had to have a C-section. So, I mean, we're definitely going to, we're going to try for a home birth um, for sure. But like, you know, if we have to end up at the hospital, it is what it is. We're going to have them on speed dial or we're like, we're in the city. So we're 10 minutes, 15 minutes away. So it won't be bad, but we're going to try for it because that's, you know, that's kind of like part of our, our ethics and what we think is legit. But it's like, if it doesn't work out that way, I'm not going to be traumatized and think that my, my kid's not, I can't make my kid healthy or anything. Yeah. And that's what, see, for me, I wanted a natural birth and I actually was set up to be a natural birth. Um, it was all looking good <laughs> until my water <laughs> broke. Um, but it's one of those things that, you know, there are risks that you go the longer you go. And I was, I, I still say I'm young, but I was younger then. <laughs> and I learn more and more as I go. So with my first birth, particularly, I was terrified that I was going to lose one of the babies or that something was going to happen. And that fear did drive me to stay at the hospital. And it was okay because I learned a lot, right? I probably recovered the best from my first one, like C-section physical wise, but mentally it was a scary ride. And I have a lot of trauma processed from that birth, that first birth. And I learned so much from it <laughs> that when my second birth came around, I knew that I wanted to be back. And I was in and out of that hospital uh, five or six times before she ended up having to be a C-section because I was determined to have a V-back. So, you know, like I said, even if you do everything right, you might still end up as a C-section, then that still is a mother too. You know, you're still going through the same postpartum. You literally get filleted <laughs> to get your baby out. And, you know, that poses a whole nother sets of recovery, you know, that's less abdominal floor, more abs, lower abs and the scar tissue and the fascia buildup. And I've actually recently been talking a lot about my recovery on there. Um, the primal, this is where primal pride came into it, I reached out for help because I was having a lot of issues with the scars from my C-sections. And it was, you know, you, recovery, you go back to actual recovery and things that you know from just even athletics, right? The cold exposure, the sauna, supporting your lymphatic system, things that I should have just, you know, the light turned on when they mm -hmm. said it, but it's definitely helped me tremendously to have resources in the holistic health community to help me recover even further. Yeah. And I, you know, we talked about this, uh, on Instagram and I think a, a lot of it has to do with mineral status, honestly, because your kids are going to get about 10% and then, you know, now you're four kids in. So think about what that happens. And, you know, some people are like, Oh, well I take Sheila Jeet or this and that. And it's like, I did all that stuff too. And my minerals were still out of whack. So it, I think it does take like a program, like we talked about to just yeah. see everyone just individual on where their levels are at. And I've noticed that now because I've sent like four or five people, um, over to my practitioner and they're just like, Oh, we're just all so different. You know, there's some common themes, but like, 
you know, everyone has different like heavy metal exposure and this and that. And the way that our, our minerals are so depleted in a lot of our foods, it just makes sense that you just supplement your way through it. But, you know, not everyone's at that. I've been in the health space forever and ever and ever, and I'm just new on that journey. So, you know, it just takes some time, but I do, my wife will have been on it for like six months before we even start trying to get pregnant, probably something like that. And then she'll be taking the minerals all the way through and after. So it'll be really interesting to see how she does that. And then we'll probably even do like the placenta encapsulation if everything goes correctly. And that'll, it's supposed to help with a lot of that postpartum as well. Right. Yeah. The regulation of your hormones afterwards and to it's similar concept into the taking the heart and the liver organs daily. Um, it's the same concept with the placenta is that the same nutrients that your body has already put all in one pancake, <laughs> if you will. Um, and, but taking it does help. I, I was not able to with my pregnancies, my C-sections, um, I tried with my last two and it just did not like either it was a miscommunication. I wish I could have. That's one thing that if I did it again, I would for sure encapsulate the placenta and take it afterwards as a recovery. Uh, like I said before, with the recoveries, I've learned more and more with each pregnancy. I did decide to remove my tubes um, with my last C-section because I was already opened. <laughs> I would not have gone and gotten another one, you know, um, like to been reopened, no unnecessary surgeries, but because I was already in there, I was like, okay. And it's mostly because I'm prone to getting pregnant with twins. <laughs> um, my first set was twins. I miscarried and then I had uh, my four-year-old was a twin and I lost her twin somewhere along the pregnancy. And, you know, you talk about minerals and you talk, talk about deficiencies. And I'm not saying that this is the reason, but I was plant-based the year before I got pregnant with her. <laughs> and then the second I, I ended my plant-based journey because the second I got pregnant, I was craving steak. <laughs> and I have a rule about listening to my body. And if something tells me enough that I need it, it's probably for a reason. So thankfully, I switched up. And during my pregnancy, I probably ate more red meat than I have in the past year, which is really hard to do. <laughs> so it's one of those things that, you know, like I said, lessons learned, you can either be harder on yourself and live with regret or figuring out or you can grow from the experience and learn different ways to make up for it later. And yeah, I totally agree. And also you have to think like my wife's 33 and I'm 35 and we have no kids, right? So someone could be listening to this and they're 24 and starting their health journey right now. Like, and if you happen to get pregnant, you know, have everything in place, like that's all cool. Like I just happen to luckily, you know, not have any kids at this moment and I'm older and I know a lot more. So yeah, it's going to go better. But you know, a lot of times these kids aren't planned and it just stuff just happens and you just have to, you could be a single mom, like my mom. That's why I was on formula. I would imagine most likely. And you know, she just had to go back to work, right? She had to take care of my brother and take care of me. And, you know, it is what it is. So it's like everyone's in a different situation. But I know I also like to get out some information in case this does help somebody who is planning. You know, a lot of time kids aren't planned. That's the other thing. It's yeah. like, oh, we, we were out partying, you know, we got pregnant at a festival or something like you're literally wasted and like now mom's pregnant, you know. So it's like yeah. 
it's it is what it is we're just happened to be in a position where we waited and then she used to be on the copper iud as well so it's like we didn't really have any like you know we didn't have to worry about anything because we weren't planning on having kids and now she's had that out for a year so we've been tracking the cycle which has been an interesting like oh i'm, I'm ovulating and I'm like all right well not doing nothing today like because <laughs> like, like, which is going to be good for us though because we were tracking the cycle to not get pregnant but now we'll know like what that looks like when we're trying to have kids so it's kind of interesting so we've just like planned it and you know we've been blessed to do that but a lot of people they just literally happen to have get pregnant you know yeah, and that's what happened with my first pregnancy. I don't mind telling anybody that. Um, <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't planning on being pregnant at the time, and I ended up being pregnant with twins. My mom got three phone calls right in a row, and the second two were, oh, I'm pregnant. And then I was like, okay, I've got an appointment on Monday. It's twins. What? (laughs) Um, I forgot you could have more than one baby at a time before (laughs) I went in for my ultrasound. And then they're like, oh, well, there's not a third. Like, (laughs) (laughs) what? Um, So it just completely took me by surprise. But it's good that you have the health mindset now going forward. And I'm going to tell you, you know, being pregnant, I'm sure your wife will see this, having the constant reminder is so much better for your discipline, you know, whereas like, I feel like before I had kids, if I was going to stop eating something or stop drinking or whatever it would be, it was very hard for me to just stop because I was like, Oh, well, you only live once, you know, (laughs) type mentality. But when you have something growing in your stomach, and it's a constant from the second that you're pregnant, you have another life right (laughs) and you feel it and it's a part of you so it's a very easy way to really tune in to what diet you want to be on and that's what all my pregnancies have done (laughs) yeah that's amazing and as far as like your family um you seem like very health-minded but also a little flexible like do you have any like strict like dietary rules around your family or is that like you let them have candy how does that look okay so with children you know in an ideal world they would never be exposed to red dye 40 they wouldn't (laughs) have any seed oils in their diet processed gluten you know the everything would be fermented or raw dairy in an ideal world. I maybe have more of a realistic approach to things. I know that the second that I was out of my parents' supervision, I made decisions for myself. And it's really hard to especially navigate the world that we live in and not be exposed to those type of things. And like on Halloween, trick-or-treating is a good example. My kids love trick-or-treating. However, I do not like what is given out, and I have no control over the 40 houses that we go to to try and make sure, oh, does that have this in it? That's a fool's errand in my mind. So, you know, sometimes they have candy, and sometimes they don't, and they choose not to, which is good because they know, right? I've educated them, and that's another whole homeschooling topic has been the education of their nutrition and which foods are nutrient-dense and why other foods are empty, right? And so, for example, for Halloween, I bought back their Halloween candy. This is a very controversial thing. People do the switch-witch where they leave them out and then they switch it for a present. 
I straight up bought their candy. I said, whatever bucket you fill, I'll give you 10 bucks. (laughs) (laughs) And it worked and they loved it. And they were able, all of the kids were on board. They understand why I don't like candy. They understand why it's not good for them. And they were on board. Even my four-year-old was like, hand it over. You know, (laughs) she was all ready for her $10 because they know the cost of money and they know what it can buy them outside of it. It's just really hard, especially when you're talking like with family gatherings and people who don't follow those same health conscious diet decisions. Having the flexibility, I think, communicates it more because I teach my sons to listen to their body. You know, like they know that if they've had McDonald's, their stomach might hurt, (laughs) you know, or if somebody has food and they're like, oh, okay, I'll have a piece of a cupcake at a birthday party. They still have the experience of the cupcake at the birthday party. But most of the time they'll turn to me after one bite. They're like, it's got processed sugar, you know, and and they'll hand me back the cupcake. You know, I, a funny story, my son, I was making, I make them their own birthday cakes and they get to choose the theme every year. And I went to go make their birthday cakes and I did not have time, Matt. I was <laughs> rushed. I had 40 people coming over. I had no time to make it. So I went to the grocery store at like eight o'clock at night with both the kids. And I was like, okay, we're going to pick out a cake. I had a fit. I had a seven-year-old throwing a fit in the grocery store because we were going to give our guests bleached flour and food dyes. <laughs> yes, and he hates that. He he loves That's Paul awesome. Saladino. He watches the reels on there and follows the directives of him all the time. He's trying to tune in right now about how That's amazing. food dyes. <laughs> That's cool because the education piece is the most important part. It's like, and then if they don't have it on the on any regular basis, like you said, they're gonna have two cupcakes and then go, "Why do I feel awful?" You know. And Danny Vega said the same thing. Like he allowed his kid to have like the pizzas and the sodas. Like at a birthday party, and they felt awful like all day. And they're like, "Why didn't you tell me that?" And he's like, "Well, you you know, you got to kind of learn." I wanted to let you be your own person, but also you need to learn from experience. You had the pizza, the ice cream, and the soda, like devoured it because all the sugar, you know, and the artificial sweeteners or whatever's in all of it. And then you felt awful all day. So now you know that, yeah, maybe you can have some of that stuff, but also like maybe have a little bit less or, you know, or don't, don't have it at all, whatever you want to make the decision for yourself. But, you know, educating them is the biggest piece and then letting them experience it a few times. And then really also, you know, once they experience it, tell them that's from the food you ate. Don't just let them say, oh, I think I have a stomach ache. Like you have to tell them like, oh, remember you ate that food today or you had that soda today. Exactly. And they learn from example. So if they see you making food choices, you're an adult, you have all the food choices in the world, you can go anywhere. And so if they see you making the choice to eat at home, they see you making the choice to not have the cupcake or to not have it. It's something that's learned in the back of their head, whether they notice it or not, they'll say, oh, wait, mom doesn't eat candy, you know, and it's one of those things that will click later on, or at least I'm hoping, right? Um, (laughs) We all try the best that we can, but I know how my mind works. And if someone tells me not to do something, to never have it, to be very strict about something, my first question is why? What does it taste like? Is it good? You know, <laughs> and that's where my head goes. So you can think about how a four-year-old, an eight-year-old, a one-year-old, 
in the different levels that they can comprehend, right? And is the eight-year-old, the eight-year-old obviously retains a lot more and can understand the explanation. The four-year-old does whatever you do. If you want to do something and you're doing it, they want to do it. You know, my, my daughter loves her raspberry hair tea because <laughs> I use it, you know? <laughs> um, and then you have the one-year-old who she'll eat anything you give her. And she has the best diet out of all of us because I give her only good things. <laughs> right. I always say like the kids don't know what they don't know. So it's like for the first how many ever years of their life, why give them anything that has sugar or whatever? And then once they get older and they want to, like you said, go to a birthday party in the community or whatever, you're on the road. And they see some other kids getting ice cream. You say, okay. But like for the first how many ever years, you're literally just providing whatever meal. They just eat it. They don't have any questions. They just say, okay, oh, blueberries. Oh steak or whatever the butter so i don't know like i feel like we probably won't give them anything for the first while and then as they start to be little adults and you treat them that way then they can make their own decisions around that a hundred percent and i think homeschooling has a lot of benefits in that partner right um if they were at public school they would be sitting around people at a lunch table and comparing theirs food to those around them And that is one big part of the preschool semester that I sent them to that I had the biggest trouble with because they would give them snacks. And it was to the point to where my kids were rejecting the cow's milk at the time (laughs) that they kept trying to give them. They're like, no, that's boiled, you know? (laughs) So It's funny because they understand a little bit of it, but they, you know, as they get older, they start to get it. A little bit more and they see like i said they see and consume the same things i'm consuming and i think that is a big part of it yeah it makes total sense do you give them any kind of like supplementation or is that just like too much of a headache for little kids um the boys take my the beef organs every morning okay. <laughs> um they like i said they follow paul Saladino and they love carnivore md they think he's the coolest guy ever um so (laughs) they will take their beef organs in the morning um i give them a one of the breakthrough magnesium breakthroughs at night um the four-year-old can't quite take it yet um she can't swallow any pills or anything and i'm not pushing it so she will she gets more through her diet though she eats more fruit than any of us and you know all organic foods and things like that so i'm not too worried about it the body is resilient and a four-year-old is going to be growing <laughs> growing and growing so i try to do it when i can and especially if i see other behavioral things that come out of it. This goes back to the minerals, right? (laughs) Um, And how it can affect your behavior and hyperactivity. And a lot of the times they just need to go outside. (laughs) (laughs) So I supplement with sunlight. (laughs) Final answer. Yeah, that's probably the best one anyway, especially with kids. I remember I used to tear like I lived off such junk food and just like even through my 20s, I could just drink whatever and eat whatever. And I just, you know, you're kind of fine. But I probably will give some supplements. I've heard people doing like the liquid minerals are a little bit easier because you can like put it in water or milk or whatever. And um, I think maybe even blending, like to opening up an organ capsule and putting it in a raw milk or something's probably would be easier than saying, hey, try to swallow this. It's kind of just like trick them a little bit. It's like, oh, here you go. Here's your milk. We do smoothies. Smoothies yeah, or that. are like I make my own popsicles with the raw milk or actually mm-hmm. with 
kefir, but um, but I put like the beef organs in there sometimes, not all the time. You know, a lot of times they can see it. They're like, this is a vanilla, you know. <laughs> I just seen a recipe the other day that looked pretty cool. Uh, I can't remember whose account it was, a Holistic Mothers or somebody. She was making popsicles with uh just like the electrolyte powders that are flavored so i thought that was pretty like a unique way like there's always like little tricks you pick up along the way i'm sure to like how do we how do we give them snacks but then also like now you're now you're getting some sodium and potassium you don't even know it (laughs) well since giving up alcohol i have been a mocktail junkie (laughs) um and the mocktails the, my daughters love. So ah. the kids love it too. So they are still getting some of the minerals. They're getting kind of the residual. It's not more an intentional thing, but if I'm making a mocktail and it's got, you know, my shilajee and it's got a little bit of salts in it and they've got their mineral powders in the drink, I'll give them some. And that was one another big drive for me to stop my alcohol consumption from where it was, because I like to be able to what I'm sipping on, hand it to them, you know, and it's yeah. one of those things that you can have this too. consume what you would want them to consume. Right. Yeah. We've went back and forth on like how, like we don't really even drink barely much anymore anyways, but only at like maybe like a nice dinner or something, we'll have some wine or if we go to a concert. So, you know, I just, I also think like, sh- if you can control yourself and have discipline, like showing your kids like healthy alcohol use, like one glass of wine with dinner, like not showing them like how I used to be and like drink a fit, a whiskey, you know, like I don't want my kids to see anything like that, but I also do want them to like see like us having like one, two glasses of wine, but then not getting like hammered so that they kind of, they just look at alcohol a little bit differently than like I grew up around people who just got like hammered, you know? So like a lot of my role models were drinking all the time and shit. So what I do, I got drunk all the time. So I, cause it was seemed normal, you know, I started drinking in like eighth grade. So. Exposure and control, right? Mm -hmm. It's exposure, but also control. And I, I use the same philosophy about, you know, having them consume what I consume into the things I watch, into the things I put in my mouth, into my behaviors, you know, um, if I don't want them watching a certain program, why am I watching it? You know, if I'm learning something, then they should be able to learn it too, you know, kind of not, not that they're equals, you know, cause I am their parent, but at the same time, the more they get treated with the respect that I require, you know, um, they see that and they'll carry it through and they'll start to take what I say to heart versus trying to rebel against it. Yeah, that's great. And I think it's like, uh, what's uh, Ben Greenfield do? He has them like, uh, he has like all of his books have like highlights and pages folded over. So it's a little bit easier, but he like, has, he like pays his kids to basically read one of his books and they don't really have to read the whole book, but they can like just look at the highlighted notes and then write like a one page report on it. So it's like they're just like gathering little maybe they don't understand the all of it because it might be like words they can't understand or whatever. But, you know, just like they're picking little bits and pieces that they can understand. And you're just that's kind of like part of his homeschooling. And that's like amazing. Right. Because now they know a little bit about nutrition or about water or about whatever the book is that they picked out for the week or month or whatever it is. Yeah, water is one of those topics that the kids stand up for themselves on, and I think it's great. So every time we go to someone's house and they try to pour out a faucet, they're like, is there a filter on that? Where does it come from? (laughs) 
And it's kind of cool because, you know, you don't think of an eight-year-old asking that type of stuff, but they do. They ask. They'll say, wait, can I drink from this? <laughs> and they That's great. I, I always tell people water is probably like the first, like if you're going to still even eat like crap, you should at least get a nice water filter. You know, I, I got my wife's parents on a nice water filter and they're not the healthiest with their diet, but like, you know, get some clean water in your life. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I use a Berkey. We're trying to get into a whole house filter because I'm kind of sick of my shower at this point. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I, you know, like I said, one step at a time, I am a firm believer that everything will come in time and I'm focusing on my drinking water now. Then I'll focus on getting my bathing water set and that'll be golden. (laughs) Yeah, that's like how, I mean, I buy like a few nice things a year, you know, and then at like now it's been like six years. So it looks like I have all this stuff, but it's like, I've just spent like a few grand each year, you know, and it's just like, I chose, you know, not to go out to eat or, you know, I make some sacrifices for it. But, you know, now I have an ozone and a PMF mat and a sauna, but like these things have all accumulated over like five or six years since I've, you know, dug into a lot of this stuff. So it's not like I just, you know, I'm not a millionaire and I didn't buy everything at once. Yeah, I think that's important with homesteading as well as with holistic living is to understand that these people who have been doing it for years, they might have more resources, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they just dropped everything that they had right. and bought everything new. You, you, you switch and ditch, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you, once you reuse something up, okay, time to switch to a better option. And the progression is what I wish more people showed. I feel like a lot of influencers don't show that progression, but they're like, oh, check out this really nice sauna that's $5,000. Like, well, I'm going to buy my $150 sauna tent first. And then when I have the space to save up, I will buy my nice sauna. <laughs> yeah, I have a portable sauna that I love. It was like 1200 but it's like, you know, I don't own my house either. We rent. And so I've moved it through like three different houses now. So, and I like my sauna as much as a $5,000 one. So my uh, wife and I split that and, you know, that was like one of the things we bought that year. So um, getting into the homeschooling, like what kind of structure does that look like? Do you have to like keep them up with like standardized testing or anything like that to like be on the same pace as kids in regular school? What does your look like? So in Illinois, they have um, required subjects to teach, but they don't have any other requirements outside of that. So I'm in a very loose homeschool system because I don't have a lot of requirements. I don't have to prove progress. I don't have to use an accredited curriculum. I can kind of unschool. So (laughs) the dogs and everybody. (laughs) Holden. Hey, Piper, enough. Sorry about that. But homeschooling for us has really kind of organically grown into unschooling. We started trying to do school at home, which is much more difficult than it sounds. Um, It's hard for us because we are so flexible otherwise that we, if it's nice out, I've got stuff to do in the garden. We're going to do school at five o'clock at night. So I don't use a particular curriculum each year, like for first grade, for kindergarten, I've written a curriculum for second grade. I wrote my own curriculum again. And I do look 
at what the state recommendations are for where they are at. I also use a program called IXL, which is very similar to what their online testing would be in school. And it's just so that they can have exposure to the language that's used, right? I want them to have options. I want them, if they choose in sixth grade that they want to experience public school or in high school that they want to go to a public high school, I want them to have that choice. So for me personally, it's really important for me to be on par with what a second grader would be learning. And it's not exact. Like I, we don't use fractions. We don't use the, the perfect pieces, you know, the manipulatives. For us, we're going to use a, a homemade pizza or we're going to talk about, you know, like we can do very loose units. And for example, I doubt that sun exposure is ever a unit that's taught in second grade, but my kids learn about sun exposure and the benefits of it and what morning sun is and what grounding is. But that's not in the curriculum in a standard second grade. So I use that and I write my own. And then if, for example, we're learning verbs, right? You have so many options out there that you can either go on if you're somebody who needs more structure and you're unfamiliar with that topic. There's a website called Teachers Pay Teachers, and you can download a whole unit with principles, like or like printables and like worksheets and tests if you really want to. My kids don't do tests. We do assessments at the beginning and end of a semester through that IXL program, but it just kind of gives me an idea. They don't think at anything. They think they're just playing on the computer. Like they don't mm. think like, well, I'm taking a test. I'm going to be graded on what I know and what I don't know. That's not a concept that they're familiar with, but they're able to learn as they go. And I'm able to go back to things that they didn't learn. Right. So if they didn't quite grasp counting money, for example, that's, that's a topic that first <laughs> graders and second graders are both taught. Um, if they didn't grasp that so much in first grade, I'm able to focus on it more in second grade. So my second grade curriculum is going to look different than a different second grade curriculum. And it actually looks different between my children. So they're both in second grade, my twins, but one is at a much higher math level. One is at a much higher reading level. So it's catered to them and they get one-on-one time with me to work on the areas that they aren't comprehending and able to move forward on the ones that they're excelling at. So it's, I like the flexibility of being able to cater your curriculum to your child. Whereas there's a lot of people out there who just buy a curriculum, they do that curriculum and they move on. You know, it's kind of what you want out of it. Do you want them to have the option to go back into school if they want to? Do you value certain subjects and certain principles over others, right? I know there's kindergartners who learn their ABCs with Bible verses and they can recite, you know, 26 Bible verses right off the top of their head. And that's not how my kids learned. My kids learned from a YouTube video, (laughs) you know? So yes, we sing it, but at the same time, like I said, there's so many resources out there 
that if you want to teach your child something, you have YouTube, you have teachers pay teachers, you have curriculums, you have other people. I could call if one of my, like my son who wants to build robots, I have a friend who builds robots and he gets to pick his brain and interview him, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's just cool to have that flexibility. Yeah, that's definitely amazing. And how many hours a day would you say that it takes, do you think, to like homeschool your children? Sometimes it's five hours, right? I try to spend at least an hour with them individually. But sometimes if they're not getting it or they're not grasping it or it's just too sunny outside and we're trying to stay inside, (laughs) sometimes it takes five hours to get through a certain topic. Uh, But for the most part, it's about one or two hours. So yeah, it's, For, it, it's not a lot. <laughs> yeah, so I just because I that's like my thing. I'm like, I always felt like school was just like a, a certified like daycare, like a free daycare. Like there's so much fluff in school and not enough like play for one, like outdoor play. It's like, ooh, you got a sub today. Let's watch How to Kill a Mockingbird or what, like whatever the fuck it is. I'm like, what? Like your kids can learn everything that they learn in like eight hours of school and probably an hour or two, maybe three or four tops, depending on like what, what they're really going through and how difficult the concept is. And the rest of the day, they could learn whatever else they want to learn or just be kids. And that's like where I'm like, I don't, just see like and there's just so much like like you said outside influence from the food and what the teachers think you should do and what your counselor thinks you should do and it's like it's all this just like noise and fluff with school that i feel like can be eliminated with homeschooling and could you imagine if everything as you were learning it if you were able to get the attention and ask every question that was in your head yeah, I like think about how that. much more you would have comprehended things. <laughs> to me, that's the benefit of homeschool. If you have a question, you're able to ask it. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to be called on. Mm-hmm. You can just ask it. <laughs> and it's one of those things that has really allowed me to be there and more of a resource for my children. So I feel like my connection to them is stronger. And I'm there. I'm there for when that light bulb turns on. And mm-hmm nothing's going to take that away. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. And so uh, I know we're wrapping up on time here. Do you have any like tips or resources uh, besides the couple that you named that you would give to anybody who's thinking about homeschooling their children? I would say if you're looking to homeschool your children, go and see what's out there. Go look at the co-op, talk to a mom who homeschools, because you need to figure out where you are and how confident you are in what you believe, because it will be challenged in a lot of different areas. I get challenged a lot more than I share, (laughs) but I get challenged a lot more in my choice to homeschool. And I am more confident about it now than the day I started. And I know how to answer certain questions and I know that my children are more empathetic than other children out there. I know that they have a drive to learn that I can't say for other children. So just know and trust yourself, trust your gut, and try (laughs) to navigate through the noise with earmuffs on. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, it's a, the outside influence of how people probably react when you say you homeschool is probably worse than actually homeschooling itself. 110%. I get a lot of judgment or, oh, can they read? <laughs> <laughs> Do you ask an adult that? You should. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, when's the last time you picked up a book? What's the last <laughs> thing that you learned? Don't ask my kids that, <laughs> you know? That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and you'll you'll see it. I mean, I get the whole gambit. I get some people who are asking them to do arithmetic questions. I get people who say, oh, they're just going to be weird. Like, uh, I went to public school, and I'm still very weird. So <laughs> that has nothing to do with the price of tea in China. <laughs> yeah, like I was in all these advanced classes, and I'm like, Tell me one time I've used trigonometry ever, like literally, like unless that has to do with your profession, you are never like you learned that shit for no reason. And so like the judge a kid off whether he can do these crazy like calculus and trigonometry type equations for some standardized test is beyond me. Yeah. And the whole memorizing dates and history, my mind doesn't work like that. If I see a timeline like, oh, okay, well, that led to this, this led to that, that led, to, but I don't need to know the dates. <laughs> it's yeah, not something it's... that my mind thrives on anyway. And then that's the other part is like, what does your kid actually want to learn? So let's do some of this, like, you know, two plus two and this and that, so they can know a couple things and ABCs, you know, they need to be able to read and write. Yeah, we get it. But then what do they really want to learn? And if you start them with that when they're very young, you know, and then, then they're, I don't even think school, school hasn't changed in so long, but the world has changed every year dramatically to where like, we're still teaching kids stuff that's not even going to be useful in the work field because of AI and technology, like they need to be ahead of the curve instead of like school systems way behind, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think that it has so much catering to the masses that it forgets that people are individuals. So the school system to me is only flawed because it's catering towards the mass, right? And children are so unique. Even within a family, there's not two that are alike. So to say that everyone has the same requirements for education is naive, you know? It's not considering the diversity amongst everyone. You know, there's so much talk about diversity and inclusion, but yet we're trying to teach everybody the same. It doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make sense to me either. So cool. I'm super glad that we got to do this. I'm glad we made the internet connection work and uh, we'll yeah. get it doctored up and uh, it's all good. So little switch of location and that was it. So why don't you let everyone know where they can find you like on Instagram or how to work? I don't know if you work with people at all or if you just kind of post family stuff or what. So let everyone know how to work with you or how to find you. Well, I am Sprouts on Sprouts and that's because my last name's Sprout. So Sprouts is what I called my kid. Sprouts on Sprouts and I'm on Instagram and TikTok. I am working on getting my website up and going. I have a few eBooks available, the links on my Instagram, but I do have a subscriber portion of Instagram that I've started up and this is where I'm sharing all of my holistic health tips. And I'm, like I said to you earlier, I'm slowly progressing into the holistic coaching. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm sharing everything and all my knowledge on Instagram. And I am a lot in my stories. So if you don't see a post so much, check out my stories. I'm in there every single day.
and I answer DMs. You'll never know if you just ask. <laughs> yeah, she's definitely very responsive and her uh, posts are really cool. And I'm going to have to reach out to you one day when one day my wife and I are planning to learn how to make sourdough bread and yours look fire. So I'm going to have <laughs> maybe do a Zoom call or something and pay you to coach us through a sourdough session or something. I actually wrote a whole ebook and have a workshop on how to build your starter and how to build a loaf. So I'm your girl. I can oh, help yeah. you out. Definitely. If you guys want to learn how to make sourdough, she, she's got some awesome sourdough uh, videos and stuff on her Instagram. They look like perfect. I'm like, mine would probably be lopsided or something if I tried to make one, but yours look awesome. Time in. Once again, just got to practice. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, have, hope you have a great me. day. Mm-hmm. You too. If you enjoy this show, would you please take a second to subscribe, rate, and review it for me? Also, if you'd like to know more information about Combo, personalized one-on-one coaching with me, or for upcoming retreat information, which I host with my wife, please visit my website in the show notes or DM me on Instagram. My handle over there is at Integrative Matt. Until next time, my friends. Thank you.